0: Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Uh, I counted a joy and an honor uh, to be able to give you bread from heaven tonight. So I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bible, whether it's physical book or on your phone, doesn't matter. I'd like you to go to the gospel of John chapter 11, and I'm going to talk to you tonight about future power for present problems. Future power for present problems. I'm going to pray very briefly, and then we'll go to the word of the Lord tonight. Father, I want to thank you so much for your presence that is always with your people. And God, you've proven that nothing can separate us from the love of God, not even pandemics Uh, Lord, we might be separated from the body of Christ physically, but you have made a way where digitally we are able to gather together and be edified by your word. And I pray that that would happen tonight. God, anoint my lips. I pray that you would anoint the ears of every person listening and that your heart would be heard and that your power would be released into our lives. We love you and we thank you for loving us first. And we pray it in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Future power for present promises. John chapter 11. And this verse or passage that we just read has every child's favorite memory verse. Now, we have a thing over here in American Sunday schools. I believe you say creches in Ireland. But here in Sunday schools, we like to give incentive to our kids to memorize Bible verses. And you get a gold star or a candy or some kind of prize if you can quote something to the teacher on Sunday morning. And every kid loves to quote John 1135, Jesus wept. Easy to remember. And even Hollywood has picked up on this. I remember seeing a movie one time where a man goes to a lady's house and she's like a grandmother to him. And she's got hot, gooey chocolate chip cookies that have just come out of the oven. And he goes to grab it. And she says, "Uh uh-uh, you've got to quote a Bible verse to me before you can have that cookie. So he says, Jesus wept. And as he tries to take a bite, she says, why did he weep? And the man says, because no one would let him eat his cookie. Now, unfortunately, when Hollywood engages the scripture, they tend to get it quite wrong on a number of levels, and that interpretation of why Jesus wept is also quite mistaken. But the reason why Jesus wept is actually critical for us to know. If the Son of God is shedding tears, we can't just read over that and reduce it to little more than sympathy. Something very deep is happening in this text that you and I have to understand because it's critical for our own faith and for our own walk with God. Some have suggested that he is simply grieving over Lazarus, his dead friend that who now has been in the grave for four days. Some have suggested that Mary, who sat at his feet, moved his heart when he saw her weeping. But I don't think that either of those answers are sufficient for what's happening here. I think the truth is quite surprising, and that's what I want to take us into tonight and then draw some connections between what's happening with Jesus in this scene and what happens in our lives. And the first thing that you and I have to note is that Jesus, in verse 17, has entered a setting where people have accepted death. They have accepted its presence. They have come to the conclusion that any return to life is no longer possible. And some commentators have actually suggested that standing behind John's mention of four days dead is a Jewish belief that the soul would hover over the body for three days immediately after dying, hoping it could re-enter it again. But once the fourth day was reached, uh, the body would begin to decompose and the soul was actually frightened away by that. Now, If that's the case, John's not validating it. What he's doing is trying to show in no uncertain terms, this guy was as dead as it gets. There is no hope for a return of life. There is no hope of this situation being reversed. Everyone there is in funeral mode. They are mourning, they are weeping, and they have embraced death as the ultimate conclusion for this situation. And so Martha appears, the sister of Lazarus, And she has a relationship with Jesus. He has been in her home. He has taught his disciples and her sister in her house. She knows who he is to some degree. And she comes to him and she expresses regret over his absence. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But in her grief and mixed with her regret, there's this very strange but deficient confession of faith. She says, I know that whatever you ask of God, He'll give it to you. I know the relationship you have with your father. And if you ask him for something, heaven's open over you. He's going to respond. But what the text is going to show is that her faith actually has limits. She has secret parameters drawn around that question. She doesn't fully believe that whatever Jesus asks for will be given to him. Because he tries to assure her that her brother will rise. To which she tries to respond theologically, well, I know he'll rise again at the end of the age because it was a common Jewish belief that someday when the Messiah returns and finishes his work, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead and God will judge all those who have ever lived for everything they've ever done. And so she knows that Lazarus will rise again at the end of the age. And Jesus makes a very interesting reply. He says, this event that you think of as future is present before you, something that you think is relegated only to the end of time, a power that you believe will not be available to humanity until the end of the age is standing right here in front of you. He said, I am the resurrection. This event that you are hoping for in a distant time that will reverse death and defeat it and sin and all of its effects is now standing right here in front of you. And that's the part That she can't believe. That's the part of Jesus's identity that isn't able to shape her faith. She resists it. And he goes on to say that death has no real power over those who have put their faith in him. He says again, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she gives a very safe answer I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. And it's quite possible she's very confused by Jesus's words, maybe saying this to placate him. I know who you are. You're the Messiah. But I just can't reconcile what you're telling me right now with reality. Because very often when you and I are faced with death in whatever form it may come, whether it's physical, whether it's a kind of emotional death, a social death that we see happening in our community and in our nation around us, It's very easy to give into funeral mode and in such a way that even Jesus isn't invited to come to the funeral. But Martha leaves and Mary comes into the picture now. And when Mary enters the scene, she's weeping. She makes the same statement that her sister did. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus looks at her crying. He sees the professional mourners weeping with her. And all of a sudden, the text says that he is moved within himself and deeply troubled. Now, the thing that we have to understand is that deeply moved. I'm reading from the New King James is not is not a very accurate translation. It doesn't fully capture the Greek and what it means here. Jesus is angry. The word that's used to describe his emotion is also used in other Greek literature to describe the snorting of a horse preparing to go into battle. This is a very intense. Outward emotion that Jesus is experiencing. One commentator was very bold and said, you could better translate it as Jesus was outraged in spirit. Spirit meaning his inner self and emotions. There is some kind of outrage and anger that the son of God is experiencing at a funeral. An event that we would typically associate with compassion and sympathy. Jesus is feeling outrage and anger. What is he angry about? What is outraging the Son of God at an event like this where his friend has died and his friends that remain alive need him? And it's very likely that Jesus was angry at sin and death, which is what sin ultimately leads to. He was angry at the way it had shaped everybody's faith. Everyone there believed that this is it. There's nothing that can be done about this situation. Ultimately, what Jesus is grieved over What Jesus is outraged over is that no one believed what he said about himself in verse 25 when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone thought that it was a future promise that would only be made real at the end of the age, the reversal of death could not happen now in the present. That's coming later on. This guy's been in the grave for four days. We have reached the point of no return. We have come to a place of impossibility. There's no going back from where we are. And Jesus is grieved over the fact that he's at an event and everyone believes that death is more powerful than he is. That's why he's outraged. The son of God has come to interrupt a funeral. He has come to display his power and his glory and nobody can believe it. And this is where we want to begin to connect this text with our own lives. Because so often we are like Martha and Mary and the mourners in John chapter 11. We look at things that are happening in our lives and in the world around us and we accept the presence of death. We think that marriage can never live again. My marriage can never be brought back from the dead. My hope is being laid in a tomb. My faith is as good as dead. That young man is to be written off. He's as good as gone. This community, my nation can never live again. We're in a pandemic. Look at how difficult things are. Financially, I'll never live again. But beloved, I believe that Jesus is coming to your funeral tonight. I believe that Jesus wants to interrupt your burial ceremony. Some of you are laying your hope in the ground. Some of you are laying your faith in what you are convinced is a place of death. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. There is no death. There is no four-day death, no five-day death, no 10-year death that can overcome my power to reverse the effects of sin. Why? Because I am the resurrection. The power that you think is only for the future, I bring into your present. The power that you think you will never experience until the end of time, I make available to you in the here and now. The resurrection is not a future event. It's embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior of the world. Some of you have been looking at your situation. You've been looking at your hope like it's Lazarus. You're looking at your faith like it's Lazarus. You're looking at your marriage, at your kids, like it's Lazarus. It just can't live again. But the Son of God says, I am the resurrection. I can open the tomb and bring that thing out again. I can breathe fresh life into your home, life that you never thought could come again. I will plant it there. I will breathe on you if you will just believe. And Martha comes into the scene one more time. And in a way she validates Jesus's grief. She shows that he has a right to be outraged. He has a right to be angry. Because the next time she comes on the scene, Jesus is at the tomb in verse 38. And he says, take away the stone. And Martha, the one who was making bold confessions of faith before, is now objecting to Jesus's desire to express his power. And she says, Lord, by this time, he's going to stink. There's no way he can live. He's been dead for four days. Master, don't you understand what's going on here? And Jesus in verse 40, which is where we stopped reading, he replies to her and says, didn't I tell you? Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? If you would just believe, you could see your marriage rise from the dead again. If you would just believe, you could see your rebellious children rise from the dead again. If you will believe, you will see the provision of God bring you out of a hopeless state. If you will believe, Jesus will breathe life into the places that you think are so far gone, they can never live again. If you will believe, the Son of God is going to interrupt your funeral. If you will believe the glory of God will come on your life just where you think it can't come any longer. That's what Jesus is speaking over you tonight, Cork Church. Where are you holding a funeral? Who are you burying? What are you burying? What are you laying to rest and giving up on in prayer? What are you giving up on in terms of coming to the throne of God and asking? You've prayed your faith to death, it feels like. I've been there. I know what that feels like. But where I've also been is I've been the dumbfounded Martha standing at the tomb saying, why did I ever doubt him? Watching the brother, watching my Lazarus come out of the tomb, shaking off those grave clothes and hearing Jesus say, loose him and let him go. There's a Lazarus moment waiting for you. There's a moment of resurrection that Jesus wants to bring into your life. And it's not something that's going to come because it makes sense. It's not going to come through you having all of the answers and the explanations. None of this made sense to Martha. None of this made sense to Mary. It's going to come because you put your faith in Jesus as being stronger and more powerful, and more present than the death that you're facing in your life right now. He is the resurrection. He is the life giver. And there is no funeral too big for him. There is no form of death too powerful for his life. He brings the future power of the resurrection into our present funerals, into our present struggles, and into our present death. So whatever you're burying tonight, I want to take time to pray for you. I want to pray that that little mustard seed of faith that's inside of your heart would be cast into the soil of Jesus's power. Because beloved, God doesn't need your faith. He doesn't need your big faith. That's not what it's about. Jesus said, faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain away. It's not how big your faith is. It's where you're placing it. And if you will place your faith, however tiny it might be, into the soil of Jesus's power and into the faithfulness of his character, you're gonna have a Lazarus moment. You will see something rise from the dead that maybe you were convinced could never live again. So if you would, wherever you are right now, whatever you're doing, would you either stand or get on your knees something to express faith in God? Jesus, even physically, I wanna show you that I'm desperate to believe you. And I believe that only you can reverse the things that I've been seeing falling apart around me. Lord Jesus Christ, I come to you and I cast my mustard seed of faith in with my brothers and sisters. Lord, you know what's paining their hearts. You know, oh God, the things that they've been burying. You know the things that they have been laying to rest. You know what their Lazarus is. And I'm asking that you would speak over them now, the way that you spoke over Martha and that whole funeral service, and that you would call Lazarus to come out of the tomb. Lord, help us to roll the stone away. Help us, Lord, to put our faith in you and to roll away the doubt, roll away the unbelief that we would not allow our sense of logic, we would not allow our assessment of the circumstances to stop you from moving. Jesus Christ, be glorified. Glorify your name in the life of every person listening to me right now by calling their Lazarus out of the tomb. Whether they have been burying a marriage, if they have been burying children, if they have been burying hope or faith or finances, Lord, whatever they've been burying, Lord, I pray that you would call it out to life again, oh God. Call it forth to live again in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord, that you're going to build testimonies in every single one of them. Father, we thank you that you hear us. Thank you for that prayer where Jesus said, Father, I know that you always hear me. And Lord, we come in agreement and say, we know that you hear us too. And we look forward to seeing you answer our cry. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty, holy, precious name. Amen and amen. Thank you for tuning in with us today.